Olivia Rodrigo is selling dodgy fan merch. Is TikTok the new Tumblr? And should we be having kids in a climate crisis? We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you are listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and create this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. Always was always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, hello. I feel like we've barely spoken this week. Okay. What what have you been up to? (laughs) We had a games night with our friends. That's quite a lot. Yeah, but like we were in a group setting, you know, not one-on-one with my friends in front of us. Oh, yeah. So sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say one-on-one with our listeners all. Or tuning in as well. <laughs> very private, very intimate. <laughs> so what have you been doing? Um, Working? Yeah, much of the same. Oh, actually, um, earlier this week, I totally had such a teen phase of mine where I just went like hardcore into playing piano, a little bit of playing guitar and just like learning Billie Eilish's new album songs and like singing super loudly um like my my parents and family like roasting me for like just hardcore (laughs) belting it out in the shower and whatever I liked your Instagram story about like feeling like a sim because the only thing we'd see on your stories was you just like doing all these different skills like getting your bar up above your head that's what I feel like and even when I'm stuffing up on like the guitar and stuff I'm like I just imagine that like really awkward (laughs) sim movements where it's like super exaggerated I'm like yeah it feels And you had a self-care day yesterday. What did you do? Yeah, so it was an accidental self-care day. Um, I don't know. Do you know how I see people do this all the time on social media, say that they have a mental health day, and I'm like, oh, that's so good, like good for you. But then it's just like it never really clicked in my head properly, and I just felt so bad for taking one, Um, even though I decided halfway through the day. I don't know because I was like I had things to do and things to like tick off my to-do list and jobs to do and just nothing was going to plan and I was mm. just like beating myself up about it so I tried to let it go but I uh, still felt super weird so it was like half a good day I took almost three naps whoa so, yeah, like really long ones as well oh my god that's amazing how can you physically do that <laughs> I honestly okay? don't know like honestly and I had like a long sleep afterwards last night so whoa. well you obviously needed it yeah. But I think, like, there's always something you could do, which is what I've learned, like. It's true. There's always some admin or job or cleaning or something that needs to be done, but you just have to decide, like, what's more important and then do that instead. Exactly. Especially these days, like, it's so stressful out there. So it's I out here. <laughs> exactly. But tell me about your week. What did you get up to? I had a very... I had a fun week this week, actually. I got to host a panel for The Cool Career and chat with Ginny Jones from Ginny's Girl Gang and Hayley Worley from the Sheet Society, founders Amazing. of both those companies. And, yeah, we had, like, a virtual panel and chatted all things business and marketing, and it was just so much fun. And it, it was work, but it didn't feel like work, which is, like – when freelance and journalism and media stuff is good, it can be so much fun. And so mm. I had one of those weeks, which was good because, you know, there's also the flip side of everything. That sounds so nice. Do you have any takeaway bits of advice from either of the interviewees that you can pass on to us? Both of them had so much advice and wisdom, but I would say – the one highlight, well, there were so many highlights. One highlight was Haley talking about how um, she really wanted to start this sheet society and like take it full time. And at first, her husband was like, No, you need to pay the bills. Like, you've got to keep your job. But she just believed in herself and she built it into this like multi million dollar company, which obviously isn't going to be every business, but like, the way she believed in herself and just put everything on the line in a way Mm. to achieve her dreams, I think was like a big, wow, that's amazing moment. 
Yeah, very inspiring. Oh, my goodness. Multi-millionaire mm. oh, or business, you know. Yeah. And she said that she's only taking like an average salary from it mm. and she just puts everything back into it because it's only a few years old. So, And their sheets are amazing. This is not an ad, not SponCon, but I have a pair and they're so soft and pink tie-dye. Um, I love them. So, yeah, that was fun. If you want to watch it, I think it's on the Cool Careers website if you are interested. Nice, nice. Um, I'll be getting a little bit more of my like semi-culture club fix from that, listening to you speak. Um, but what about this weekend? What have you been up to? It's been such nice weather in Melbourne this weekend. It's honestly given me life. Like I feel so good. Um, so yesterday I went for a long walk with our friend Julia. She's within my 5K radius and we walked to Richmond and we got bagels and we ate them in the park and then we kept walking we're walking like the whole time exercising um just having like deep chats and that was really nice and then I did some clay in the backyard my mom bought me this like clay kit uh when the lockdown first happened a few weeks ago and so I finally got into that and I made like a little mug and a dish (laughs) are you gonna commodify that are we gonna sell it as a side hustle jazz (laughs) that's also what we're talking about on the panel um (laughs) about how we've like commodified everything no I'm trying to not. I'm very – I was tempted, but I'm like, no, I'll just make them for my friends or – yeah, it's like the knitting thing we were talking about last week. Lots of Mm. hobbies. I want to see these mugs when you're finished. (laughs) Yeah, I have to get them like – what's it called? Glazed and set or whatever. kiln. Yeah, that's it. I have to actually take them to a proper place to get them heated or whatever. So I have to do that when lockdown's over. And then this morning I cycled to the beach again in my five kilometer radius, not break any rules, and um, jumped in the sea and it was freezing, but I felt so alive and mm. it was such a beautiful day. So I feel like you've got a really, I don't know about you, but now when I have good days, I really let myself just feel good about it and just like try to hold on to that feeling for as long as I can Mm. because at the moment the bad is that way and the good with everything that's going on so you know when you you've got to feel happy when you have those happy days oh that makes me so happy very main character-esque and I think that's so right about like moments that make you feel alive and Mm. holding on to them when you can because a lot of that came from like you know non-lockdown things and very much missing oh my god why do I feel emotional from you saying that because I'm just missing like concerts and hanging out with friends and all those things but you're right the little things are also good um Mm. I will also be getting vaxxed this week you've fully been vaxxed haven't you now oh no your second dose how did I forget that that was part of my week Oh my God. Yes. I got my first dose on Wednesday and I had the only side effect I had was a little bit of a sore arm for like 36 hours. I just like couldn't really like put above my head, but what really mm. do you do? Raving. So I felt great. Apparently the second one is worse. Mm. So I'm like mentally preparing for that in a few weeks, but I, it was just such a relief. It was so emotional Mm. and I just couldn't stop thanking the nurse as well I was like thank you for everything you guys do like I just feel so lucky and I just think science is so amazing and it's such a privilege to have at the moment especially in Australia I just don't take that for granted so yes when are you getting yours oh yeah I'm very thankful as well and I'm getting it on Tuesday afternoon um, I'm very excited, very, very, very excited to get it done. Um, I know people have such uh, varying side effects from nothing to quite a lot. And just knowing my little weak body, I'm going to be hit with something. <laughs> I'm going to be out of it. But, well, you know, you napped three times and you were literally. healthy yesterday. So what are you going to be like? <laughs> no, six six times. naps. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, manifest it. Um, but no, obviously that doesn't matter and I'm very thankful for mm. whatever side effect I get honestly but look at us half vaxxed babies in a week or whatever so mm. keen 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 hot girls boys and they's get vaxxed you heard it mm-hmm. here first pop princess Olivia Rodrigo has come under fire for her brutal sour match. The collection of clothing and accessories didn't turn out as advertised for some fans. 
After two to three months of waiting for merch to arrive, the results were less than promised. One fan's beaded bracelet that's supposed to read sour read sir. Another fan received what they said they thought would be a crop top, but it arrived as a long, almost dress-length top. There were pictures of longer, higher sweatshorts that were supposed to be mid-thigh length that turned up as short shorts. Yeah, you know those, like, booty shorts that you would wear, like, back in the day? Like, they're like made the out of, like, sweatshorts. Yeah, booty the little shorts. Yeah, booty shorts, right? Yeah. And in the, yeah, and they that's what um arrived at the house, but what was advertised were these like what I meant by like high waisted, longer, like mid thigh sweatshorts that are like quite mm. cute. I'm just like, that's a big difference. God. There were other things like colour. So she's got a few lavender coloured things in the collection and on her they were very like very pale pastel lavender, but on um the fans they're like quite strong almost like highlightery purple um and you know people were saying that the quality wasn't good it was thinner than expected all this all this sort of stuff which is quite unfortunate for our princess olivia (laughs) our princess all hail olivia yeah i i actually don't buy much merch i'm literally wearing you're wearing pieces of merch that i own well one of them i maybe own five pieces of merch that's... I'm wearing a 1975 jumper from 2014. It's literally basically vintage now mm. <laughs> and it's lasted so well. Like the quality is quite good, but I do find that a lot of celebrity merch is really bad quality and it's so mm. annoying because it's so expensive. So expensive. Um, it's funny because I don't think I've got any official merch either. I have a Harry Styles tee that Flex Mommy made um, from Flex Factory Store. And my first concert ever was Five Seconds of Summer. And um, the girl I went with, she got us like Kmart grey uh, sweatshirts. This is probably when I was like 11 or 12. And then she like drew each member in like permanent marker. And I still own that. And I wear it as pajamas. Like I literally wear that like every couple weeks. So... That's cute. That's my match. Yes, the Olivia Rodrigo thing reminds me of last year when Taylor Swift released Folklore and everyone was talking about the cardigan. Of course, that was one of the singles off the album. And I was so, so tempted. I was going through such a crap time. Well, it was anyway. <laughs> going through such a crap time. And I was like, oh, to have like a cozy cardigan in winter and it's Taylor Swift and it's like such like a moment in time, the album coming out like, you know, the middle of 2020, but I'm so glad that I did some research and didn't just get swept up in it because like the shipping, you know, you've got to convert it from US dollars, including shipping from around the world. And then I looked at it and it was a hundred percent acrylic. So it's like basically just a plastic cardigan. Mm. And it just annoys me because it's like the quality is, I mean, I'm sure they're mass producing it, but Mm. it's so expensive for like such crap, which is what this Olivia Rodrigo thing is showing as well. Yeah. Luckily her, like the company that was making all this merch um, was super like apologetic and any fan who uh, like contacted them got like a full refund and, and stuff. But yeah, it's just a bummer that this happened, I, I feel. And especially because all these fans were so excited about it, but it's, you know, still fast fashion. Mm. And I think maybe there's a bit more outrage over this because Olivia's marketing team have been so smart and made her seem like one of us, like quite normal, quite accessible. But I think this is a good reminder that there are machines of people and companies behind artists. And at the end of the day, they are just trying to make money off off of us. No matter if you think you're like repping your BFF Olivia, like you're still contributing to this like record label machine, which is fine. I think if it brings you joy, but I think it's a good reminder. Yeah. It's not some cute, quirky, small business. It's lining the pockets of big corporations. And sometimes that doesn't pay off. So as some listeners will know, you've just started at Refinery29, full-time working gal, and you've already posted some amazing pieces, but one that stood out to me, which I think deserves to be read out loud on Culture Club, was your piece, Am I Queer Enough to Call Myself By? How did it feel writing this and putting it out into the world? 
Ah, uh, thanks, Jazz. <laughs> um, both freeing and very weird, I want to say, because some listeners might know that back in February, we released an episode where we were talking about this and we both had a very unexpected and impromptu heart to heart about our sexuality. Um, the episode's like called something like why Gen Z is coming out without labels, which is ironic because I'm kind of coming out with a label now, but I found that that's what's working for me. Um, and yeah, it's been like a year in the making and I think it was something that was bubbling away in my head for quite a while. Like it was something I needed to put pen to paper because I kept, it kept coming to me. And I think as writers, we write out a lot of our emotions in our life and it helps mm. us like analyze ourselves or kind of understand ourselves and the world around us. So like I like it did not take me long. I just had it in me and I was just like blah, blah, blah. and then it's such a um, good feeling when that happens. So. It's the best. It's the best. And I feel really proud of putting it out there. Um and it's been really nice to see that so many people have had a similar experience. Like not unique at all. <laughs> and um that's quite validating as well. Yeah. Can you read some out for us? Yeah, sure. I can count on one hand the number of times I've simply said, I'm bisexual. It always sounds like an apology in my mouth. I navigate my sexuality like it's a disappointment that needs softening. I think I might not be straight. I don't know, but I might maybe be bi. When I say bi aloud, it's accompanied by air quotes and a grimace. I remember sitting alone in my room at night when the realization that I was queer or not straight as that was as comfortable as I got with the label hit me. More than anything, I was furious with myself. How dare I keep something like this from me? How dare I not know this about myself? Like the obnoxious Gen Z I am, I hold a naively confident understanding of myself and my identity. Grappling with this plot twist made me rethink every other preconceived notion I had about myself. I didn't have the same realization that follows many queer people's coming out moments. You hear it time and time again. Oh, I was totally in love with my best friend. Oh, I had a crush on my childhood neighbor. The reflections that make things make sense and click into place. Instead of my aha moment, I felt more confused than ever. My sexuality epiphany raised more questions than it answered. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh. You've obviously have such a way with words. And we'll link it in the show notes. And it's also on Maggie's Instagram if you want to read the whole thing, which I definitely recommend. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You hear it all the time, remarks of how wildly specific is TikTok's algorithm or it's scary how well TikTok knows me. We don't really question it, do we? We are a generation that's grown up with social media and studies have also shown that Gen Z don't really care about having our data used by corporations. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so I like, I, I kind of feel embarrassed, but um, there was this study in 2019 that found that 32% of Gen Z respondents said that they're not concerned that companies will use their personal online data in a way that could harm them. And also 38% of the respondents said that they actually prefer online ads um, that target their personal preferences. How do you feel? I agree with the <gasps> second part. Jazz, you're getting uh, We're going to get advertised to anyway. I saw the most cooked video the other day i think it was on tiktok or uh, somewhere in a, an ocean somewhere like i don't know the mediterranean and there was this boat going past with an ad for fucking boohoo.com oh you're in God. the middle of the ocean you're swimming blue skies beautiful you're in nature and this boat drives past with boohoo.com on like a big tv screen on a boat like we're going to get advertised to all that we do get advertised to all the time, especially in cities, like you walk past so many ads. So if I'm going to have to see them, I'd rather see things that will help me in my life or make my life more fun or make me feel more inspired or whatever. So yeah, I agree with the second part. Lol, yeah. did you see that Elon Musk is launching a satellite that will let people advertise on a billboard in space? That makes me feel sick. 
I genuinely thought that was like a Batuta advocate headline or something. So I had to check. I'm like, oh no, that's real. I don't even like click on them anymore because I just like, it actually makes my blood pressure rise thinking about it. No, exactly. But no, I disagree. I don't want personalized ads. Um, I don't like the feeling of being spied on. Like I know I am being spied on, but just like do it discreetly, please. Like don't tell me. I saw a TikTok that was like, I love it when like your personalized ads are way off and you're like, ha yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but interesting to know. So recently the Wall Street Journal has released a full investigation spanning a video podcast and article. You might have heard of it. They created over 100 automated TikTok accounts, which are essentially bots, to watch hundreds and thousands of videos on the app. They found that watch time was the only factor that TikTok needed to figure you out. Yeah. I find that so interesting because TikTok have said in statements that it's a mixture of who you follow, who you share things to, like what you like on TikTok that really kind of make the algorithm what it is. But the Wall Street Journal found that it's only literally like what you linger on and what videos you watch that really um, make the algorithm what it is. And I think that's the difference between like Instagram, Facebook versus TikTok is like it's so much smarter. It's like insanely smarter, which is quite scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One interesting account that was created was Kentucky96, who they programmed to be interested in videos about sadness and depression. Um, obviously, they didn't like put it in the bio like depressed and sad. <laughs> the way that that was programmed was just watching and lingering on videos to do with these themes. And it wasn't long before Kentucky 96's feed was basically flooded with depressive content. It was really scary. 93% of the videos shown at the account were about sadness or depression by a certain point. The Wall Street Journal also found that the fewer views a video has, the less it's moderated, which means dangerous content can slip through the cracks. How do you feel about all of this? Not surprised. Mm. And I think a lot of TikTok users won't be surprised by this. There's just a ridiculous amount of content that's on the platform. It's like, how can it be moderated? And if they want you to stay on the app, it makes sense to show you similar content that you're watching mm. already. But yeah, how do you feel? Like, yeah, also not surprised. But I found my algorithm has been all over the shop lately and I've actually been pressing not interested. I'm training my algorithm. I know I live in an echo chamber. I unfollow a lot of people if I don't like their content, even on Instagram, even like old school friends, whatever. People are like, oh, but you should see an array of opinions and like, you know, whatever. But I'm like, no, this is, I go on social media for fun to see what my friends are up to or for like inspiration. I don't mm-hmm. want to see everyone else's opinions. So I've been pressing not interested a lot. And I've also been going on my following, you know, there's following or for yeah. you. I've been going on my following page because I have chosen to follow these people. So the, I like that content so much more. I used to barely ever go on that. And now mm. I go on it a lot more because the for you page is just like so chaotic that my brain actually can't take it anymore. That's very smart. Look at you taking control of the For You page. That is like, you know, commonly known as this untamable beast, but you've actually found a way around (laughs) it. So I feel like not many people are having that conversation about how you can have some sort of control over Mm. TikTok. Yeah. Mm. But like I hate, for example, I think I've spoken about this before, I hate ASMR with a passion. It actually makes me feel nauseous. And what do you they, mean? oh, <laughs> I'll vomit on the microphone. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I'm so terrible. I'm so sorry. I won't do it anymore. And for some reason, my algorithm thinks I like it, so <laughs> I always press not not interested. But it's still come up a couple of times, and I every time I'm like not interested. <laughs> like, why don't you get about it? So sometimes I think we're like, oh my god, this algorithm is like so smart. And other times I'm like what the fuck algorithm? Like I've told you I don't like this. Why are you still showing it to me? 1000%. And I also think it's confirmation bias, right? We see Mm. like hundreds of videos and obviously the ones that are very specific to our lives are the ones that stick in our brain. And like, you know, we pass through so many random ones. I had a phase with really weird sport references. um, And also like sometimes like sexist or like really problematic videos would come up and I would just quickly swipe away to Mm. show the app I'm not interested, but I should do that not interested thing 
Yeah, so we'll put a content warning here as this next bit talks about disordered eating, which may be triggering for some listeners. So please skip ahead if this may be you. In Wall Street Journal's video they created about this, they dived into how eating disorder content that violated TikTok's terms and conditions would still commonly be approved. But this isn't just TikTok specific. There's a study called Thigh Gap, but that's spelt really weirdly. Instagram content moderation and lexical variation in pro-eating disorder communities that I found on TikTok by user Professor Casey. So this study looks at how after Instagram banned the words thigh gap, people started creating variations of spelling of the term. So for instance, that study that I read out, it was spelled T-H-U-G-H-G-A-P-P, right? And really terrifyingly, what they found was that the deeper the lexical variations were, so how wrongly spelt the words were, the more harmful the content was in these niche communities. So scary. And just this conversation has just been happening for so long. And like people keep trying to outsmart that in the same way that I'm like, oh, I'm tricking the algorithm. People also do that in negative ways of like Mm. still finding ways to share dangerous content um a lot of people are rightfully critiquing our experience in the early 2010s on tumblr where thinspo content was rife never forget (laughs) never forget those like faded photographs or those girls with like buns messy buns and gray sweaters i have seen so many videos lately comparing Tumblr discourse, so reminding me of all the thigh gap, thinspo, pro Anna stuff, to TikTok discourse, which is quite funny <laughs> because I was on like peak Tumblr, which is considered to be 2010 to 14, and now seeing the exact same conversations happening with people like five to 10 years younger talking about like sexuality theories or whatever it may be. I think it shows that even if the app changes the technology changes like at the end of the day we're still humans trying to figure Mm. our stuff out and like using these spaces to have conversations very true I even think this applies to conversations maybe our parents had or um teenagers experience growing up like decades ago like we think we're so unique each generation you know or the previous generation older than us is always like oh my god like the new generation is so tainted or like they're terrible but you know what goes around comes around. But yes, tell me more about this article. Yes. Wait, did you even mention I didn't mention an article, but you can read an article. <laughs> Sorry. You're a mind reader. I am about to read for an article. So Charlie Clement wrote a piece for Vice called TikTok's LGBTQ plus discourse is just a rerun of Tumblr. Why does this duplicated discourse occur? Social media platforms have long been the place where subcultures and marginalised people have flourished, where those who feel isolated in their offline context can meet like-minded people, Zoe Glatt, a PhD researcher at London School of Economics, told Motherboard. It used to be that LGBTQ plus communities existed in small pockets of the internet, on Tumblr and YouTube, she continued. But in recent years, shifting attitudes towards gender and sexuality have meant that LGBTQ plus concerns and discourses have become much more part of the mainstream. The writer continues, Six years on from when I first experienced these online arguments, the repetition may well come from newer generations growing up and experiencing the internet in a society which is theoretically more liberal and accepting. TikTok has primarily been a place for younger generations to congregate and interact, much like Tumblr was for an older generation. And so it generated lots of conversations that ordinarily wouldn't be seen on other platforms. Chris Stokel Walker, author of upcoming book TikTok Boom, told Motherboard. Marginalized communities have said that it's good to see themselves represented there and to be able to take part in the discourses online. I feel like we talk about TikTok so much on this podcast (laughs) we're always referencing it but I do think especially with all the COVID stuff going on it is such a place of information and subcultures and entertainment everyone's stuck at home like I think that TikTok right now and the internet or obviously the internet but TikTok and social media apps 
are more important to talk about than like TV, newspapers, like older forms of media. Like I think I think we should study them and talk about them because it's very important. Very, very much so, especially about the subculture talk that we're having now. Like in Tumblr days, you could be like, yeah, like the grunge community or the whatever community. Now it's like I could find a community of like-minded Pisces with stomach issues who live at home in Melbourne. I could find a whole community of people like me, you know? So it's very scary and there's more subcultures than ever. We only just spoke about eco-anxiety two weeks ago, but we should have held our horses because this week the eco-anxiety has been off the charts. The UN released its Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change this week with the United Nations Secretary-General calling it a code red for humanity. That sentence alone is enough to switch off the news and turn on cottagecore sims, but some interesting conversations have come out of the doom. If you haven't read about it yet, basically some of the smartest scientists in the world stated that governments have 10 years to get their shit together, otherwise the climate will warm up by 1.5 degrees Celsius, resulting in catastrophic climate disaster. This is nothing new for Gen Zs and Millennials. Our whole lives have been tinged with existential threat for our planet. We studied our gores and inconvenient truth in geography class and were told to reduce, reuse, recycle before we could write. However, this week, shit feels much more dire. I'll tell you something, Jazz. Tell me. Like, obviously, this report went bonkers on the internet. I didn't actually click on it. I didn't actually know that they said that until you read that out. How have you missed that? (laughs) I'm going through the – wait, I think my brain, like, chose not to see it. So I I saw this report everywhere, right, and I'm pretty sure I probably read headlines with this information, but I just – blanked out so you know that like when a lockdown is announced it doesn't hit me until like at least 24 hours later like I'm literally unfazed this was the same I was like oh I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to hear about this because we know that it's bad but I just didn't need that and now I feel sick yeah sorry (laughs) sorry to be the bearer of like (laughs) existential bad news news. yeah (laughs) but wow this week has been a lot it's been terrible switching on the news and seeing all these horrific natural disasters ripping through our planet Mm. yeah I know what you mean by trying to or not having the mental capacity to take it in because like we're already dealing with so much crap right now and I know that's just like another thing piling on top um but yeah it's pretty full-on and it's also kind of a positive reason why I haven't clicked on it's because I don't want to be so disheartened by it all. Like I know my like my partner was becoming like really he- like kind of like hedonistic about it. He's like, oh, maybe I'll just start eating meat again or whatever. And I'm just like, I still want to hold on to that hope and mm. and whatnot. But anyway, let's get back to this report. So with scientists explaining that climate disaster is impending and COVID making it impossible to make plans, it's hard to even picture what the future may look like. While many conversations online are around not reproducing and how irresponsible it is to bring kids in today's world, for those who had envisioned a family, it's a hard pill to swallow. Do you want kids, Jess? I think I do. Sometimes I'm like... I have that thing of like, no, well, one, the environment, two, they're expensive, three, blah, blah, blah. Then I just think like I have such a beautiful family and some of my best memories are obviously with my extended family. And so then I do think that when that generation leaves, then what will I have, you know, like I have friends. So I think I do want kids, Mm. but I also have have tried to shove it down because of the environment. What about you? Yeah, I've like always kind of wanted kids, but not in like a really like this is my life's purpose way. I've just been like, oh, yeah, like I like hope that I'll have kids one day because mm. um, I can definitely see myself with a family like that. But also because I'm quite young, I haven't thought about it really. Mm. Um, 
But of course, all these talk online of a lot of people choosing not to have kids is swaying me in like all these different directions that I think our parents definitely didn't have to think of at all. So it's very weird and interesting to see these conversations surface. Yeah, sometimes I actually feel guilty for wanting a family. Because so much of the discourse is like, having kids is immoral and irresponsible and selfish. Like, how could you be so selfish to want kids? But I think like we are humans, obviously, but like we are also mammals and animals and we do, we are biologically hardwired to continue our species like any other animal. So when I have those feelings of like, oh, do I want a family? It's hard to grapple with like the modern living of humans versus the biological brain being like, I want a baby. <laughs> but also, I'm true. in my mid-20s now. Like I thought when I was younger, I was like, oh, I made my first kid by 28, 29. And now I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but I do still think I want them. And mm. every year, like that biological clock is in my head, which I hate. Why don't men have that? Anyway, we're getting off on a different topic. Yeah. We are. And, I mean, I haven't looked too much into it, but I've definitely seen studies kind of debunking, in a way, that biological clock where it's not, you know, once you hit 30 or whatever, it doesn't go completely down here. Like I thought, you know, so it's – so there is hope. And, of course, it's still scary and I don't know much about this. But, yeah, I can't imagine that pressure for people, especially Mm. in their later 20s or early 30s. Um, We have been seeing these conversations on, like, Twitter especially, I think. Um, in recent weeks. Did you see that discourse on Twitter about this woman complaining about, yeah? Okay, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, we can bring it up. Yeah, so it was a tweet by a journalist, an Australian journalist, and in it she is basically saying that COVID has taken two years off her dating life and she was venting that she had wasted or she had lost two years to find a partner to have kids with and she's in her early to mid 30s Mm. and twitter australian twitter went crazy over it i thought it was awful this woman is obviously just venting and so many people were like taking it as like oh two years that i missed out on having sex with like (sighs) it's not that at all and i think it was actually full of misogyny and i think it's very valid that people who want to have kids have not just the COVID crisis, but now also the climate crisis to think about. Like that's stressful to have lost two years when you're in your thirties that you had planned, you know, down to a T of like having kids and whatever. Yeah. What did you think about all that? Absolutely disgraceful. And I think you nailed it by saying it is misogyny. I think a lot of people just don't value starting a family in the same way as, you know, career milestones or whatever it might be. They're like, like as if, like, you know, that's something small, like whatever. Whereas this is really important to this person. Um, This internet can be a gross place and we know that. And I hate that we, we don't have any empathy to extend to these people who are obviously everyone's dealing with stuff in COVID, like every single person is. And you, we don't need to preface everything with like, yes, like people are dying everywhere. We know that. And you can, you can, you can also be upset about things in your life. Like that's okay. Mm. You know, I wish there wasn't all that like terrible, like guilt around that. Like, I'm not saying that people should complain about like very small, minute things all the time online, like have things in perspective, but also like, yeah that was a very valid concern and she just got ripped to shreds so going back to having kids re the environment there was a study it published last year that said 96.5 percent of both male and female respondents were either very or extremely concerned about the well-being of their hypothetical children in a climate changed world Now, I got that statistic from a piece I read this week that I really resonated with, which was by writer Elfie Scott for Pedestrian TV, and it's titled, Climate Change is Making Young Aussies Rethink Having Kids, But Do Our Leaders Even Give a Shit? We asked Elfie to kindly read out some of her words in her own voice, so here they are. 
The morning after the IPCC report was published, my group chats with friends began flooding with distressed messages about changes to life plans and anxieties about having children if this is the future we'll be forcing them to endure. As women in our late 20s and early 30s, many of us have started to talk about motherhood and the topic of having babies is brought up with fairly frequent excitement. Some were planning it earlier than others. My best friends and I had dreams of raising kids at the same time, a little pact of getting knocked up and bringing up a bunch of mixed-race babies alongside one another. Over the past year, it's been relatively easy to put climate change on the mental back burner, so to speak, while we've been overwhelmed with the consequences of the pandemic. Lockdown has given us time to nurture these fantasies of what life could look like beyond lockdown. Shit, if everyone's getting dogs, might as well have a kid, right? I was starting to feel genuinely prepared to be a parent. This week, that burgeoning enthusiasm is gone. It's collapsed into a stark feeling of grief. The messages from friends were full of distraught, and even reading them now feels physically heartbreaking, like I'm being stabbed in the gut. They read, It's really fucked living in a time when you can't envision the future. Why would it be fair to bring babies into this world? You can't bring up a kid safely and tell them, Yep, you will die of old age before anything happens to you. Another friend simply messaged, I cannot believe our futures have been stolen from us. There's the argument I've leaned on consistently for a few years, the little glowing beacon that makes me feel like it's all going to be okay. To give up on the idea of children is to give up on hope. It sounds nice, doesn't it? It's a warm consolation for the frenetic mind trying to insulate itself from terror. Children are symbols of hope. Only, I'm not sure that they are, really. Children aren't symbols. They're children. Sentient, failing things that will experience the same agony as the rest of us if the world fails to come to an agreement that things have to change. Now. All of this being said, I believe that hope is incredibly important, and ultimately, active hope, the kind that moves and organises and innovates and yells about things, is the only thing that's going to scrape humanity back from the brink. So this week, I wonder, do these politicians understand how scared we are for the next generation of Australians? Do they get that young Australians are turning away from their futures and deciding against children because the coming decades look so terrifying? Do they even care? So impactful. Thoughts, feelings... What are you feeling? So important that she penned this. Um, Even what we were talking about before about people not understanding the importance of potentially starting a family, right? Even me, maybe like a decade um, away from having this experience, I fully don't understand it. So having, so reading this like really helps and really puts things in perspective as well. So very powerful. Mm. I really agree with Alfie um, when she says that children are beacons of hope or they can be. Um, I was down, as I said in the chit chat, I was on the beach this morning and I saw lots of children playing and running around. It was so nice and lots of pregnant people. And I thought that, well, obviously I think like what's the world going to be like when they're older, when they're my age, but the world does continue to spin and go around and, I think that is hopeful. Like looking at their little faces, I just I do feel more motivated to, you know, make even bigger changes because it's so much bigger than us, which sadly older generations don't seem to care. Like the politicians in parliament don't give a flying fuck about us right now. Um, it's so clear. And I just think like they're going to die in their nursing home in like 40 years and oh. maybe 30 mm. years if climate change hasn't gotten them that to them then and we're the ones that have to clean up the mess like i don't they don't care and that's that is disheartening but focusing on hope and the future does help rather than focusing on those dinosaurs 
In the same way that we shared that eco hope TikTok on our stories this week, we also want to share a hopeful TikTok around having children because I think that humans are inherently good and hopeful and smart and problem solvers. And this TikTok helps. As your friends start having kids and you don't, it's really easy to start looking at them as bland and having lost their edge. But as you start to think about it, looking out at the world that's on the brink of climate ruin and pandemic and all the other stuff, having kids right now is the most punk thing you can do. It's this brave act of optimism that's saying, no, we are going to survive and evolve and we're not gonna give in to despair. And there's something really badass about that. So respect to the parents, especially this day and age. Maybe I gotta have kids, I don't know. It sure is easier hiking without a little baby on my back, but a hell of a lot less cute. Maggie, what do you recommend for us this week? Hello. Hello. (laughs) We've been recording for an hour. Um, Yes, I am recommending this Disney Plus TV show called The Mysterious Benedict Society. Have you heard about this? No, I just got a massive craving for Eggs Benedict though. Not my intention. (laughs) (laughs) Not where I thought the question would lead to either. But um, I'm very glad to introduce you today. So this is an American mystery adventure TV show based on a series of children's books, actually. Um, And this series follows four gifted orphans who are recruited by an eccentric benefactor to go on a secret mission. And they're placed undercover at this like boarding school, which is like super weird. And they must help stop this evil mastermind and his mission. So what really got me into this show is the incredible filming. Oh my God, it is so beautiful to watch. It's very Wes Anderson, like very, very, very much so. And I really can't imagine the budget that they had to make this because there's like six or eight episodes and they're like 50 minutes each. So it is like a movie spectacular. I've been watching it with my little sister. I've got the last episode to go. Um, But yeah, It's very beautiful and the vibe is kind of a series of unfortunate events meets Royal Dahl meets Pleasantville, the movie. Um, It's a very fun mystery that embarrassingly enough, I find quite eerie. (laughs) Actually, not quite eerie, like very eerie, even though it's PG. Oh, my God. But um, it's super great. So while it's great escapism the series is also centered on this thing called um the emergency which is like a global catastrophe where people around the world are struck with anxiety depression and like world is ending doom that is caused by the big evil media which kind of rings true kind of in our society in a little bit of ways like i would slightly agree with the sentiment but I hate like that it's kind of pushing this message, especially since Mm. it resonates with like anti-vax, anti-lockdown rhetoric um, surrounding media and fake news. But of course, because this is a book series um, and I'm guessing this was made pre-pandemic, I don't think that was um, on purpose. Yeah, but every time it comes up, I'm like cringing. I'm like, but um, no, hopefully this show isn't anti-lockdown and (laughs) (laughs) anti-vax. That sounds so fun. How did I miss this? Like, it sounds so good. I was going to say, sounds like a series of unfortunate events, which I loved mm-hmm. when I was young. Like, love the books, love the show. Um, so I'm very intrigued. Yeah, um, I think you'll really like this because I know you're re-watching Stranger Things um, at the moment and I kind of feel like it's similar vibes, um, not as intense and stuff, but very fun watch. So do get on it. And to round us off, what do you have to recommend to us this week? All I've watched this week was Strange Things, Gossip Girl, and last night I watched Shrek 3. So I struggle to recommend anything fun because we've everyone's seen all those already. Um, but something I found interesting was I know we've just spoken about TikTok and I don't really want to talk too much about the C word, but I did listen to a very fascinating report by Avani Davis, the host of Triple J's Hack. 
So it's a report called on TikTok, Lies and Misinformation Run Wild. You can listen to this on their website or on Spotify, and it's a 30-minute episode on how TikTok is showing users COVID misinformation. So it features chats with experts, including Dr. Joshua Roos, who's an extremism researcher, Dr. Tanya Notley, a researcher, and Dr. Brad McKay, a GP and author of Fake Medicine. And some interesting highlights was Vani also spoke with a man who found himself on the wrong side of TikTok, like what we were mentioning before, where he started receiving COVID conspiracy theories. They explain that TikTok uses facial recognition techniques and determines which political party you're more likely to be interested in by how you look and dress. He thinks it's because he lives in rural Australia and he has a he's a man, a white man with a beard. So they thought that he would be interested in conspiracy theories. And he said he's not a conspiracy theorist. And he knew what the algorithm was doing and that it was wrong, but he explains how easily you could get sucked into it. You also hear a tragic story about a family and the unvaccinated youngest daughter is 21 and she's begun to tell her vaccinated family that they're going to die in two years because of the vaccine and keep sharing COVID conspiracy theories to their family chats that she's seen on TikTok. So like a bit heavy, but they also give some practical tips on how to Mm. spot the fake posts and it's just so nice to hear from experts and doctors and we really should be listening to them. Not everyone is an expert on any on everything, which I feel like in this day and age everyone thinks they are. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you're interested in those topics, go listen to that. Sounds very good and very much links to our previous discussion today. So, hell yeah, go Triple J for doing that. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Culture Club. If you enjoyed this, we would really appreciate it if you could pretty please go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because we were in the charts for like two days and now we're out of the charts and we want to get back in the charts. So please help us out. Yes, we will give you digital hugs and a consensual little kiss on the cheek if you like. That's also digital, so don't come knocking at our doors. Anyway, thank you so much again for listening. We've loved having you here and we'll chat to you soon. Bye. Bye.